Welcome to Complexified, where we dive deep into religion, politics, and real life. I'm your host, Amanda Henderson. In today's episode, Lex and I are back to answer those lingering questions about Christian nationalism. Hey, Lex. Hey, Amanda. (laughs) These past episodes have been so good, so much fun. I still keep singing Let White Jesus Go, and I can't wait to see (laughs) the lyrics that Reverend Dr. Jackie puts together for that one. We need a whole song. We need the whole song. (laughs) (laughs) And I have heard from so many people how the episode with Rob has just had them on the edge of their seat and... Uh, people are talking about it. So that's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm super excited about these three episodes we did. But people have a lot of lingering questions. And so I think we should just get into that today, try to answer those um, and see if we can be a little bit more helpful. What do you think? That sounds good. I'll do my best. We'll see how this goes. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be great. All right. So first question, I think that we we need to start. I'm confused. And I know maybe a few of our listeners are still confused. What exactly is Christian nationalism? Yeah. Ooh, it's such a good question, especially because I feel like maybe it's just the circles that I move in. But even on the front page of our local n- newspaper, the Denver Post this week was calling out one of our state legislators, um, Lauren Boebert, for her comments as being aligned with Christian nationalism. And this term is being used so much more lately than I feel like I had ever seen it before. So it's really important to understand what exactly is Christian nationalism. I have been doing a lot of reading on this and research and I've been in this space for a while, but really specifically digging into this. Christian nationalism is the belief that a true American should be Christian. And more extreme versions of this Christian nationalism involve the belief that Christians should actually take steps to reclaim political power in government in the United States. And this isn't just a belief. This is a strategy and a political strategy. And that's a lot of what we heard from like Rob when he was telling us about the behind the scenes actions that have been taking place to really embed Christian ideologies into our legal systems and our political systems. And that is what makes Christian nationalism different from Christianity. One of the scholars that studies this, Andrew Whitehead, is really wonderful. So Google him. We'll put some links. So survey after survey that he has done finds that close to half of Americans are at the very least supportive of the fusion of Christianity with American civic life. So There is this fuzzy space between people who are strategically working to embed Christian ideologies into our political systems and those who really don't see a problem with that. They might not be actively engaged in the strategic ways of doing that, but they are accommodating to that way. The other person who's been doing some really great work on this lately is Diana Butler Bass. So we're going to put the links. She's been doing a series on Christian nationalism. She has three articles that you should definitely read. And in one of those, she talks about the myth of the Christian origin story. And 
so much of what we need to do right now is peel back this history and realize that some of the things that we have been told as being old truths or founding truths simply aren't. And this myth that the United States was formed as a Christian country was really built in the 1970s. And the text that's pointed to most often is The Search for Christian America that was published in 1983. And this book itself was a response to the trends of culture change that were being experienced in the 1960s and 70s. So a lot of this idea that uh, places this mythical history of Christian America came out of a backlash to the civil rights movement, to women's rights movements, to, you know, uh, LGBTQ rights movements of the 1960s and this deep culture change. So this isn't old, but what is old, and this is where that it's also important to name, that doesn't mean that we're saying that Christianity hasn't influenced the founding of the United States because religion was certainly historically provably influential in both the colonization of this land and in the development of this country. And we talked about in the episode with Reverend Dr. Jackie, the doctrine of discovery and this to me is one of those documents that we need to spend a little bit more time learning about because so many of us, I never learned about that in school. Did you ever learn about that in school? No, I didn't. I didn't. No, I mean, if you have not heard about the doctrine of discovery, Google it. And it is this, you know, papal bull from the Catholic church to the Spanish colonizers saying that any of those beings that they came across as they were discovering new land, that they weren't fully human because they weren't Christian and they weren't civilized. Mm -hmm. And under that was how did they identify that because of their skin color? That's how that wound up becoming a part of the development of race. But it was the religious justification that was given by the authority of the church to oppress and enslave and kill and commit genocide against those who they encountered because they were less than human and because they weren't Christian and they weren't civilized. And that ideology is so woven into the lens that has continued to carry on and shape how people see some as human and some as less than human. So when Reverend Dr. Jackie talked about um, that Christianity in this land has always been Christian nationalism. It's because that is the Christianity that landed on these shores, was the Christianity that had already determined that those who they encountered were not human Hmm. and was ordering people by the color of their skin and the way that they dressed and ate and, you know, the language that they used and their customs and cultures. So it was wrapped up in Christian nationalism from the beginning in the United States um, and what became the United States, even though this Christian utopia that is placed on our history 
is not based in reality. It's not based in any historical records, even the most the historical records that were produced within white Christian colonialism Mm -hmm. showed that the early colonies all had different religions and there were lots of different Protestant denominations and the writings were very clear that they were not going to create a state church and that it was vital to the democracy, to the health of this idea that they were creating, that there be tolerance of different ways of believing. And so that's really important to remember. So, all right, there you go. There was way more information than what is it. (laughs) Super helpful, super helpful. One thing you said earlier was that uh, Christian nationalism isn't Christianity. So Mm. um, what isn't Christian nationalism? You just kind of gave us what it is, but what isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So I think Christian nationalism isn't biblical. First off, let's talk about that. People have this idea of the Bible laying out this plan for Christian America. There is nothing in the Bible about uh, America, um, about so many of the ideals. There's even the ideas of family and work and marriage are not in the Bible in the ways that those who are promoting biblical values as a part of Christian America, that is simply not biblical. The other thing it's not is based on the teachings of and life of Jesus. Anyone who reads the gospel texts can see plain and clear that Jesus is about the poor and the marginalized, standing with those who are excluded and and kicked out of society mm-hmm. and brings people um all to eat with these people heals those who are uh, have been excluded. So Jesus would not be keeping people who ha- are HIV positive from getting their medications because of a religious refusal, which is what right. we saw this past week in Texas, which mm-hmm. I can't even. So um, not based on biblical teachings or the life of Jesus. Also, it's not historic as I pointed to earlier. This is a myth of the founding of this utopian Christian America. It's also not constitutional. It's very clear in our constitution that religious freedom means freedom to believe different beliefs and freedom to practice your own religion and freedom from religion being institutionalized or pushed on someone. So, it's not biblical. It's not based on the life of Jesus. It's not historic and it's not constitutional. Okay. So if it's not all of those things and especially not being historical, um, why is the term being used in this way? And why do we see kind of an uptick in, in this language right now? Yeah. So I think that one of the reasons and one of the reasons that everybody's studying this right now and writing about it and reading about it and you know if you just go on Amazon and and put in Christian nationalism there's so many incredible books I started like instinctually filling up my cart today and then I was like wait no I do not need every single one of these books <laughs> I do not need to put more money in Jeff Bezos's pocket right um anyway yes it is a buzz word right now and there's a reason The reason is because it's an actual real threat right now. And the first moment that I personally noticed, like, holy cow, this is like undeniable, was in the January 6th 
2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol, the insurrection. I remember sitting and watching that and seeing the Jesus is my savior, Trump is my president flags, Mm -hmm. and seeing people carrying a large cross while they're using the end of the cross to break a window into the Capitol. The signs, the language that was used, the existential framing of the political situation, of the support of Trump, of all of the dynamics around it were clear examples of Christian nationalism. And in that we see this like violent acts are blended with armor of God language, Christian banners, wooden crosses, impromptu prayer sessions, that it was very visible and undeniable. And I think that it's important. I've had to try and remember, like, this has been seeding for a long time. It just wasn't visible. And that was one of the things I think was really helpful listening to Rob Shank, who told us in 1995, he was sitting down um, across the table making a deal around the building connections with the religious right and the Supreme Court and the ways that Ronald Reagan was uh, embraced this group politically. So I think that the reason it's coming up now is because there's been an intentional strategic political effort to exploit and use the ways that people feel a genuine connection or (laughs) spiritual longing for belonging for acceptance, for also power, and it's exploiting that. And I think that there's always been candidates who show their Christian values, who talk about being a Christian. But what's different right now is that you have people on the right and on the far right using language that this is a battle and an absolute battle between good and evil. And we'll post a couple links to articles of folks have been really picking apart and kind of tracing the development of the language of choosing to use language around good and evil and war and violence and blood and the ways that people are talking about our political situation is different than it has been in the past. And That's why it's being talked about right now, because there is a real uptick that is measurable that we can we can point to. Wow. (laughs) So much of that. I I didn't know. So thank you. I know. It's easy to not watch. And honestly, it's so troubling. I think that it's like, oh, I don't want to read this. It's so gross that I think a lot of us just don't want to look at it. But the truth is that we need to be paying attention to it. So everybody's been talking about, you know, the Supreme Court with all um, with everything that's just been going on in news and in media. Um, But what does the Supreme Court have to do with this this ideology, if you will, of of Christian nationalism? Yeah, I think this is another reason why we're talking about it so much is because it's a different type of threat and power when there is a group that is lifelong 
in a lifelong office. We can't elect them out. And they have been deeply influenced by this far-right Christian ideology. And what we saw this past session in the court, and this is what we're going to turn to next here on Complexified. Next week, we're going to be digging into the Supreme Court. But the ways that as we heard from Rob Shank, that there was an intentional effort to influence the Supreme Court. I mean, how many people voted for Trump only because he would overturn Roe versus Wade? I know quite a few people myself. Like yeah. that is a real thing that people were determined to control the Supreme Court to infuse far right Christian ideas. And I would say Christian nationalist ideas. These are not Christian ideas at large. This is a very conservative sect of Christianity that has been infused within the Supreme Court. So when we see rulings that are um, like the Kennedy case where a football coach is now allowed on the job to pray on the 50-yard line and no matter what the impact is on the school or the students, that's a new development that's different that is infusing a Christian ideology into our social and cultural and legal norms. Not to mention, of course, the Dobbs decision and the ways that this ideology that life begins at conception, which is not scientific, it's not even necessarily religious, it's one particular strand of religiosity, is infused into our law. So that's where the Supreme Court really comes in, is that they have been influenced by this far-right ideology. I think so much of this seems so preposterous that it's like, why why should people care about this? And yeah. like, how does it impact, you know, the the common American, right? Who yeah. may be anti-religious, a-religious, or, you know, so forth and in, in, anywhere in, in between that. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, like we talked about a minute ago, it's easy to not pay attention to this because it's so troubling and we're all so busy and we're just living our lives and like putting food on the table, working, raising our kids, being, you know, having friends and doing life. It's easy to not pay attention to this. But the dangers of fascism and Christo-fascism have been well-documented for a long time. And again, back to Diana Butler Bass's articles that I highly recommend, she refers back to a theologian, Dorothy Sorrell, who wrote in the 1970s and 1980s, was a feminist scholar. And she writes when she was watching the early developments of the religious right and the moral majority. And, and she really predicted very well the development and what would come of a movement like this as it develops into Christo-fascism and the danger of it. And so I think that's one of the things that's important to kind of go back and read those histories and understand why these things are so dangerous. But this God-ordained justification for a political policy is a powerful motivator and it's hard to rationalize against and it's extremely dangerous. And so that is one of the reasons why it's important to care about it. Also this exclusivist nature that you know this one particular group is chosen, blessed, pure, right and the other is evil, demonic, antichrist. 
This is also dangerous language that can easily lead to violence and help justify actions that a person would never take if they didn't see the other as less than human first and then evil antichrist on the other end of the spectrum. These are, you know, good people can do really horrible things when they think they're doing it in the name of God and they're doing it for an existential cause. And finally, these the impacts of weapons and violence. Like this is not a um, (laughs) peaceful ideology. This is an ideology that calls for violence and frequently uses metaphors of blood and speaks of the blood of Christ and spilling blood. Lauren Boebert in her recent speech talked about the blood has been spilled and we are fighting an evil cause. And, you know, this is, happening right here, right now by people who are serving in public office. That's the other reason we have to pay attention to it is it's not fringe anymore. You know, I think that we've always had people on the extremes who kind of, you know, can think what they want to think, but they're not dangerous because they don't have a critical mass to really have an impact. But this is becoming more mainline, acceptable. People serving in public office, people running for public office right now are using the language and also like shifting their language because they know that this Christian nationalist ideology and language works and it's effective in riling people up and evoking fear and anger. So they are using it more. And Ron DeSantis in Florida, there's a recent article in the Miami Herald that will post that traces the ways that he has shifted his language and started uh, adopting more terms that he wouldn't have used even five years ago when he was running for office. So that tells you that these political leaders are getting results, that it's working because it's firing people up. So that's the other reason why we need to pay attention is just because of that mainstream reality. That's terrifying. No, <laughs> like, no, I'm sorry. Terrifying. Like even totally. I think I'm sorry. I I sent you a screenshot of the article. I think it was um what was the woman's name? Where like the headline of the article was like, I am a Christian nationalist and I should be. And it's this mm-hmm. like Republican. Yep. I think she's a Marjorie senator, Taylor Green. Yeah. yeah. Marjorie yeah, yeah, Taylor yeah. Green, yes, has said that. Lauren Boebert has said terrifying. it. A lot of them are saying that too. Yeah. Just out front. Yeah. This seems terrifying and depressing and like <laughs> That's uh, my specialty. <laughs> you know, should we go hide in a bunker? But really, like, what what can we do about All this? Right. right? Like this is in the question. The, in the personal, right? Like, yeah. what do you what do you do? This is the question. This is why I'm going to listen to the episode with Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis uh, on repeat, because I that episode um, gave me more hope and solace in this time than anything else. So I'm just going to refer back to the things that she said. So some of the things that she told us were to look one to our ancestors and our past and those who have come through hardship and who have lived through oppressive governments and people who hated them and despised them and hurt them. And they stayed strong. They held a vision. They were resilient in the midst of that and continued to build community together and resisted those forces. So one is just continuing to learn the history and look to those 
people who have lived through it all. The second thing that I heard from her is to look to those who are, you know, for her as a Christian, she spoke to looking to Christian theologians and scholars who are speaking to radical love, fierce radical love and fights for justice and continuing to build spaces and communities that are contagious with radical love and inclusion and joy and resistance. And so the more we can put our energy into the places where there is poetry and music and difference and you know all different people from all walks of life the middle church that she explained or described to us and the ways that we know that feeling of connection and radical love and just life and so the more we can tap into those places the better so i really see the what can i do about it as twofold One is we have to fight this garbage. Like we have to fight it. We have to be strategic. This is where Ian's political strategic mind of like throwing sticks in the spokes. We have to do that with one hand. And then on the other hand, we have to continue to lift up and support and nurture and plant seeds, these ways of radical love and inclusion and life and justice. And we just keep on keeping on. And And like Jackie said, when we need to step back into the river and let someone else lead, because this is exhausting work and you can't keep that movement all the time um, to take a break when you need to take a break. And then you get back in and you keep fighting and you keep loving. So I think that's what it comes down to. But you have to do it clear eyed. You know, I think that there's this you can't just skip to the celebration without having the throw in the stick in the spokes with the other arm. <laughs> you know, you got to yeah. have both and you have yeah. to have clarity and really pay attention to what's going on. For me, I'm wondering, you know, there are groups of folks in America specifically for whom Christofascism has always fallen upon them, right? It has always oh, been. Yeah. Um, and so I'm specifically talking about non-white folks in America mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to where, and and you talked about this earlier, right? And that this, this um, ideology of being less than human um, and so forth and so on. And so I guess the question is for me and maybe some other folks, this, this feels like a white people's problem and hmm. in, in that uh, a problem for sure that white folks should take charge in and fixing and putting their bodies specifically on the line in a very real physical, I don't mean in the ideological way, yep, yep. in a real way, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I guess, like, I don't know if it's the question or a statement, but like, you know, how does that land or what? Like, yeah. Because that's, that's what it feels like to me of just like, you know, get your folks. <laughs> like, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear it. I hear it. So I think um, absolutely this is something that we as white folks and white Christians particularly need to be calling out and need to be seeing, need to be, you know, Rob pointed to this in in that episode about having the conversation at the dinner table having the conversation when you're with your family and being able to enter into those conversations that we as white folks, it's really easy to say, you know what, I'm just not going to have the conversation with my uncle Larry, who is 
racist and and says these horrible things that we have to have we have to be able to step into those conversations and we cannot put our head in the sand in those spaces um i also think that there are some good movements that are being built to specifically have white evangelical christians speak out against christian nationalism a couple of those are being led by vote the common good doug paget by the joint baptist committee it has a big movement of christians against christian nationalism so mm. look those up so some of our listeners i think those are some ways that you as a white person can get involved can speak out can donate money can put your body on the line lex like lex said actually vote mm-hmm. the common good is in dc this week i know they're going to have things going on they're doing a road trip across the country and ways to be able to speak up as a white christian who opposes this uh, exploitation of what you believe this is anti-christian as jackie said so standing up against that as a white person and as a white christian is vital thanks for answering that of course If you have any more questions for us, please post them on Facebook, on our Facebook site. We have a site on Instagram. You can find us on all the places. And we are so grateful for all those who have been listening up to this point. We are growing and enjoying this process. We are going to be moving next to talk about the Supreme Court uh, for our last couple episodes of our first season. Thanks so much for joining us. For resources and ideas you can take home to your community, visit our website in the show notes. And if anything in this conversation inspired you, please share it with a friend. That is the very best way to support us. Complexified is presented by the Institute for Religion, Politics, and Culture at Iliff School of Theology. Lex Dunbar is an invaluable member of our team. Also working hard behind the scenes is our engineer, Andrew Perella, producer, Elaine Appleton-Grant, Tina Basir, and the rest of the crew at Podcast Allies. I'm Amanda Henderson.